We will be reading verses 1 through 5 of Galatians 6. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Did you listen to the words of the song that we just sang? I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. How do you help somebody who has been lifted by the hand of the master and has been put into a saved position who is a member of the church for which Jesus Christ died? And then somebody who, for whatever reason, chooses, using our metaphor, to step out of the boat again and to begin sinking deep in sin one more time. How do you help somebody like that? What words do you say? What hand do you extend to them? How do you help somebody who has begun living the Christian life and is again entangled in the world and again overwhelmed by the sin that so easily besets us, as the Hebrew said in Hebrews chapter 12. How do we help somebody? As we look at Galatians chapter 6 this evening, I've entitled this lesson just simply, You Who Are Spiritual. You look at the book of Galatians overall, and what you're going to notice is that Galatians is written to a region. It's not written to a particular city. And it's written to a region who are being troubled by false ideas. A number of the things that Paul has to deal with, we dealt with a little bit in Romans just from a different perspective. But what Paul has to deal with is talking to these people about false teachers that come in and say, you need Christ plus something else in order to be righteous. In this instance, in the book of Galatians, he's talking about circumcision. Here are some people who came out of Judaism and saying, you Gentiles, if you're ever going to be right with God, you actually need to hold on to elements from the old law. You need things like circumcision unless you're uh, uh, before because you can't really be a true Christian if you don't have uh, if you're not circumcised. And Paul writing this from a very uh, legal standpoint, using a lot of legal terms and understanding these people and saying, listen, if you're going to try and justify yourself by the law, then you're obligated to keep the entirety of the law. If you're going to go back and try and say, well, this makes me righteous and this makes me righteous and this makes me righteous, you better hold on to the whole thing and you better do it perfectly if you're going to try and be justified by that old system. He says, but it's not that. It's just what we mentioned this morning. It's about Jesus Christ and him being our righteousness and him being our standard and him in whose footsteps we follow. 
But you can imagine that in this type of environment, somebody could listen to these teachers and say, okay, I'm going to start doing those things. And I'm going to start holding on to some of those elements from the old system. And I'm going to start behaving in certain ways that, that kind of show my outward, my, religi- uh, my religious devotion by these outward things. We have a word for that. The word is legalism. Legalism. It's wanting to say that this makes me righteous and this makes me righteous and this makes me righteous. If I just attend enough church services, if I just do enough good works, if I just uh, uh, hold on to and go to enough devotionals and and take enough widow's uh, food and things like that, then those things are the things that make you righteous. And Paul says, no, 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 a thousand times no. Realize that we are created for good works and those things are a part of following Jesus faithfully. But it is not those good works that make us justified or righteous in the eyes of God. And in fact, we have liberty in Christ is what chapter 5 of Galatians is all about. And realizing we have the ability to serve Christ without any kind of restrictions from the old law. But you can imagine somebody who goes into this environment and realizes, listen, I'm not measuring up. I might as well give up. I might go back into the old system. I might try and go back into my sins from which I was cleansed. How do we respond? How do we help? The answer is a letter that closes with an admonition to you who are spiritual. Love lifted me, but there is often times in the life of the Christian a need for love to lift again. When you find somebody that is, in our definition, overtaken in a trespass, you're looking at a current condition. You're looking at something that somebody is currently in and currently going through. And here it is, the command is, you who are spiritual. Note this just for a moment, please, as we introduce this subject. This particular aspect is not written to elders alone. Certainly it is the responsibility of elders to shepherd the flock of God, 1 Peter chapter 5. But it doesn't say, elders, you restore uh, such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Note that the command here in Galatians 6 verse 1 is not to preachers alone. Although if you have preachers that are concerned about people, yes, they're going to reach out and they're going to try and help somebody and lift somebody again. Note that this listen to deacons alone. Although deacons, again, members of the church who have proven themselves to hold fast the, uh, the testimony of the faith with good conscience, who have held fast the mystery of the faith with a good conscience, and the men that are growing the way that they ought to be, yes, the deacons are going to be reaching out to people. The admonition is to you who are spiritual. Does that define you? Does that define me? Does that define us as a church family? And does that mean that's my responsibility if I'm within the hearing of my voice this evening and realizing that I have a responsibility and a part to play in love, lifting somebody else up again? There will always be people in the church who are not what they ought to be. That's why it is we have the church in the first place, because there is none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Absolutely. But what happens when somebody begins sinking again? What happens when somebody veers off the path? How do we help such a person like that? The answer is to you who are spiritual. Note a couple of things about this this evening as we make some observations. Number one, there's a consideration factor involved. 
there's a consideration factor involved. If a man is overtaken in a trespass, you know, that's a judgment call. That's us looking at somebody's life and looking at the fruit of it and saying, this person looks like they aren't what they ought to be. This person looks like they are struggling in this. I make a judgment about that. There's a lot of people, in fact, in some of the occasions where you might try and go and, and help somebody out of the situation where you're going to hear the phrase, well, you know what? You can't judge me. That's not what Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 teaches. That's not what passages like Matthew chapter five, uh, 7, verses 1 through 4 teach. Judge not that you be not judged. What Jesus is talking about is hypocritical judgment. That is, I better very, very well consider myself before it is that I ever go and approach you. More on that in just a moment. And uh, looking at John 8, verse 24, don't judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment, Jesus would say. We have a responsibility to make a judgment call about somebody in their life. And so it's not right to say you can't judge me. We have a responsibility to look at one another and say, how are you doing, brother? How are you doing, sister? It looks like these things may not be what they ought to be in your life. Why should I consider my brother? Well, it's part of what Jesus connected with regard to the greatest commandment and the second that's like it. You remember one of the, one of the uh, religious teachers of the day came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in all of the law? And Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Matthew 22. And he said, The second commandment is like it. It's connected to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What a different world it would be if we would practice that, if we would be able to love you as much as I love me, if I would be able to love you in the same way that I love me. At the heart of this is looking at this and saying, if any man is overtaken in the trespass, I want to love you as much as I would want somebody to love me. I would want somebody to go after you or go after me if I was in that situation. Therefore, I'm trying to help you in this. When we show concern and action for somebody, we are as... James would say, fulfilling the law of Christ and serving one another. We make a judgment call. Well, what does that look like? What does it look like if they're ensnared? It could be that they admit. Ever thought about that? People that have lived their lives so long in that sinful state or have uh, gotten so down that they just openly admit that they're style of sin, that they know that they're not what they ought to be. We can see and make a judgment call when you're talking about a person that needs to be restored. When you look at their life and their life reflects more of in the context, Galatians 5, 19 through 21, than Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Now the works of the flesh are evident, manifest. I see these things growing in this person's life. I see this person ensnared by any one of these things there in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, the works of the flesh. It's you see the fruit that's being produced. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And those are the things that we get, or those are the things that are going to be produced when we're following after the Lord. When you find somebody that's not, that's a sign, a sure sign that that person needs somebody to help lift them again. How do you know when somebody you know needs restoration? Practically. What about the people that we know that their attendance becomes sporadic and then ceases altogether? Is that a sign that that person needs restoration? What about when they routinely engage in conduct unbecoming of a Christian? 
What about if there's a fight between brethren and two or more individuals are noticeably avoiding one another, not speaking at all? That's a sign that there needs to be restoration that takes place. What about when you get on social media and you begin to look and scroll through some of those pages or a person's page and you see some of the things that they're doing and some of the people that they're engaging with and some of the people and the behaviors that are in becoming of a Christian? Signs people need restoration. We are called to make righteous judgments about each other's actions. It's the only way we can make a judgment call by seeing what the people do. You know, I can't judge hearts. And the truth is, you can't judge somebody's heart either. There was only one who was able to see directly into the hearts of man, and that was Jesus while he was here on this earth. John 2, verses 24 and 25 tell us that, that he knew exactly what was in each one of us. I don't know what's in you, and you don't know what's in me. The only judgment that we can make is by what we see each other do. But there's considerations involved. Note this, number two. There is a company, you who are spiritual. I made a general statement in saying it's not to elders, not to deacons, not to preachers, not to general members, or not to uh, Bible class teachers, but to the spiritual. But I want to make this observation. It doesn't say perfect. You who are perfect, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. You who have got your life completely, 100% all together. You who don't sin at all, you're the ones that are going to, you know what happened? There wouldn't be anybody restored at all. Because it is that every single one of us are still works in progress. Not perfect, but spiritual. You know, we just got back from camp and... Yeah, and these lessons are fresh on my mind, but when you talk to a young person and they've been thinking about obeying the gospel, you know what sometimes the hang-up is? I just don't think I know enough. I just don't think I can live my life perfectly after it is I become a Christian. And you know what? That type of thinking comes from a young person that sees Christianity and realizes the high calling that God wants us to have in Christ Jesus. But then looking at themselves and saying, I've got to measure up every single time. Otherwise, I can't obey the gospel. I've got to have every answer down. Otherwise, it is that I'm not going to become a Christian. And you know what? That's the case. You're never going to have it all together, young people. That's what the blood of Jesus is for. You're never going to have every answer perfectly. I know. <laughs> I know from experience. You're never going to say the exact right thing in every single situation. I know. I know from experience, but it can be that you can absolutely be a spiritually minded person, a person that's walking after the spirit and not after the flesh, a person who's devoted their life to living like Jesus. It's not to use the opportunity of Christianity as an opportunity for the flesh. In fact, jump up just for a moment. Let's let the text in the context define what means spiritual. Look at what he says there in chapter five and verse 13. He says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only don't use your opportunity as a, uh, excuse me, don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. What's a spiritually minded person going to do? They're going to say, yes, I have freedom in Christ. Yes, I have the ability to live my life pleasing to God, but I'm not going to use that as an opportunity to go and gratify the fleshly desires that I have in my body. Note also what defines a spiritually minded man. Chapter 5, verse 16. Here's somebody who's 
walking in the spirit. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is not a mystic thing. This is not something... This is not something that happens where uh, where you're inspired or come upon by the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit simply means I'm following the Spirit's direction for my life. I'm looking into the Word of God and saying, what does God want me to do? How does God want me to behave? What uh, decisions does God want me to make? And I look at those things and that helps me to live my life in a way that's not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Note also in the same context, verse 18 We walk in the Spirit, verse 16, but if you are led by the Spirit, that is a continual action. That is a manner of lifestyle. I'm going to make the choice to follow Jesus and His will for my life. I'm going to make my point to follow what God wants me to do. Led by the Spirit. Note also, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit. How do I know I'm properly following the Spirit the way that I ought to? I'm going to be producing in my life love, joy, peace, all of those fruit of the Spirit. You see it. You're bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And note also in this context the way it is that verse 25 says, you're now living in the Spirit. You see the progression? Walk by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, producing the fruit of the Spirit, and now you're living in the Spirit. And he says if you're living in the Spirit, let's also walk by the Spirit. Now jump to chapter 6 and verse 1. What defines this? Brethren, if there's a man who is overtaken in trespass, you who are spiritual. Brothers and sisters, I want you each to get to heaven. I want to get to heaven myself. A successful life is a life that gets me to heaven, but it's also a life that gets you to heaven as well. Because we don't live Christianity in isolation, but there is a company that we keep. And you who are spiritual have a responsibility to reach down into the waters and to try and pull up somebody that's drowning again. That's back right in the condition where they were before they became Christian. We do that. You who are spiritual do that. We have the responsibility as the company of God's people. Note number three, there's a command. Restore. The word is to render, to be fit, to be sound, to be complete, to mend what has been broken or what has been torn, to repair, to complete, to strengthen, to be made perfect or complete, to make one just what he ought to be. Restore. You know, a person who's caught in a trap needs help. A person who's caught in a trap needs help. You ever see those YouTube videos of the deer that's got his hind hind foot caught in a railroad track or something like that? And you see somebody that's kind of approaching the deer, or, you know, you got a dog that's a wild dog that's trying to, you know, get dig himself out of out of a landslide or something like that. And people go look at those things and say, oh, you know, isn't it great that humanity is so kind and, and, and they're helping out these animals, even though it would be that that coyote would tear your face off if you had a chance. And you know that here's people that are good and they see that there needs to be good done for these animals. But you don't often find YouTube videos of Christians going after other Christians and saying, listen, brother, you're in a sinful condition. You're in a sinful state. You need to come out of this. I'm going to try and help you lest you rip my face off. I don't know if the metaphor holds, but you understand. When you approach somebody about their lifestyle 
and you're trying to restore them to a condition, it may be that they're not exactly in a position or in a situation where they're going to accept that favorably. They may look at and say, who are you to judge me? Well, you don't have it all together. Well, that church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. Well, and then they turn around and they just try and tear you to pieces. You know what they're doing is they're trying to hide and to keep themselves from dealing with their own issues and their own problems. But there's a command, a command. It's not a suggestion. Restore such a one. And note that there's also a consideration in that as far as how we do that. Helping somebody and saying, what kind of help can I offer? I can offer compassion. I can offer to help them bear their load and say, listen, can I hold you accountable? Oh, no, 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 no. I just, you know, I just really don't want to get involved. I realize that if I invest myself in this person's life, you know what's going to happen? Is I'm taking their problem on as my own. In some respects, I'm helping them, verse two, bear their own load or to bear their load, to bear their burden and realize that their problem becomes my problem. Their issue and difficulty now I've taken on myself. You know what we call that? We call that sacrifice. Parable of the prodigal son, probably, or excuse me, the parable of the Good Samaritan, probably one of the most well-known that Jesus ever told. In fact, we've got Good Samaritan laws on the books in a lot of states. And here's a man who sees this man who's fallen among thieves. And the third one, we're not going to talk about the first two because that's not the context of what we're talking about tonight. But that third man, you remember with all the things that he did for that man. He got down off his beast. He, he dressed the man's wounds. He poured on him oil and, and tried to help uh, to, to, to offer the triage as best he could. Then he set that man on his own animal. Then he went down the road to an inn and he uh, set up the man in the inn and, and gave the innkeeper money. You know, everything that he did had to do with him making sacrifices and realizing, you know what, sometimes when I'm following this command to help restore somebody, it's going to require sacrifice on my part. That is being available for them at three o'clock in the morning if it is that they're tempted in this particular way and them calling me and saying, listen, brother, I need your help. Sacrifice. The time involved that it takes to sit down and visit with somebody and to help somebody. What are you doing? You're offering that hand. You're offering a sacrifice so that you can help restore them to where they ought to be. You who are spiritual have this responsibility to restore such a one. But there's also a character quality in a spirit of gentleness, lest you also be tempted, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Let me tell you how I read this last part for years and years and years. As we're going and we're, we who are spiritual, right? As we are who are going are trying to offer this hand and help this person, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I always read this and said, well, what's the temptation? The temptation is that you know, we could fall in the same trap. Is that reality? It could be, absolutely. I could be tempted to fall in the same trap that this person's in. I need to be careful lest I fall into the same trap. But do you ever think about the other temptations that come when you're trying to restore somebody in a spirit of gentleness? There are other temptations that might happen. How about this one? How about the temptation to compromise? How about the temptation to compromise? When you're trying to help somebody 
and you're trying to encourage them to get back right, to get back where they ought to be, to be rendered fit just like they ought to be. Sometimes it may be in wanting to be loving, we turn around and we say, you know, what you're doing is really not that bad. You know, I think there's enough gray area maybe in the scripture where you can continue on doing what it is that you're doing and God's going to be okay with it. If we hold to the truth of God and realize there is but one truth and Jesus said you can know that truth and that truth is going to make you free, John 8, 31 and 32, then we cannot compromise truth. Well, what if it's my father or my mother? What if it's my son or my daughter? What if it's my husband or what if it's my wife? You know what? It doesn't change with regard to the person. But we cannot compromise the truth. Consider yourself lest you also be tempted. You ever thought about the temptation to be overly harsh or critical? You ever gone to somebody or had somebody come to you after you made a mistake and said, I told you so. I warned you. You've made your bed. You now lie in it. And we look at them and we say, well, psh- Forget you. I'm I'm done with you. That's it. You know, you're done. There's a spirit of gentleness that we go to that person. There's a spirit of compassion and a spirit of love that we go to that person. We might be tempted to compromise. We might be tempted to be over harsh or critical. Brothers and sisters, we might be tempted to do nothing at all. I have every intention to go and encourage this person who hasn't been here in the services for three months, six months, a year. I have every intention to visit with them about their soul's condition. But you know what? I've got a really busy week this week. You know, I've got this extra assignment that the teachers made me do. I've got this extra assignment that my bosses made me do. I've got a couple of kids that uh, have have, uh, evening activities and things that are going on. Maybe I'll take care of it next week. And the next week rolls around, you know what's going to happen is there's things that are going to come up and that are going to need to be taken care of. And you know what's going to happen, it moves to the next week, until the next week, until that good intention that you had to go and try and help this person, all of a sudden a month, two months, six months, a year has gone by, and I have done absolutely nothing. Sacrifice. Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. There is always a temptation there involved in trying to restore somebody. You know why? Because the devil wants to keep that person exactly where they are. But you know what the devil also wants you to do is keep you exactly where you are. If you're not helping that person, then it is that you're looking at your Christian brother and all of a sudden the bond that we have in Jesus Christ becomes nothing. Just like anybody else in the world. There is a character for which we must do this, but there's also a calling. Let each man examine his own work, for each one should bear his own load. Sad truth is, you may try and help somebody, and it may be that they don't want to be helped. Truth is that you may want to try and encourage somebody, and they may not accept that encouragement. They may not be willing to listen. They may be reaping a life of corruption from their sins. He's going to talk about that in Galatians 6, 7, and 8. It may be that they are callous to the truth. Paul asked these people here in the same letter in this region who are dealing with these false ideas and some of them are slipping. He says, listen, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Because we try and help somebody, sometimes somebody may regard us as an enemy. Somebody may look at us and say, well, you're just out to get me. 
it is that we realize when you have somebody that's hardened their heart to the truth, it ought to break our hearts. And realizing that we need to help them and they need help so badly, but it's so many times as you offer that hand of encouragement, they swat it away and say, I don't need your help. Don't let the lack of spirituality in others, brothers and sisters, keep us from doing what we know is right. What does he say down in verses 9 and 10 of the same chapter? Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all, especially those of the household of faith. Does that absolutely mean when I reach down and try and help somebody that I'm trying to do them good? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Don't grow weary in that. Don't grow weary in holding each other accountable and striving to encourage and help one another up. Especially when you see somebody that's down and somebody that's struggling not, uh, the way, uh, struggling with sin and struggling with the, the things that so overtake them in their lives. The question Cain asked so many years before. In Genesis chapter 4, am I my brother's keeper? Our New Testament argues, yes, absolutely we are. We have that responsibility as members of the household of faith. As people who are striving to follow after the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to be bearing the fruit of the Spirit, to be walking and living according to the Spirit, and to be spiritual we are absolutely our brother's keeper. And brothers and sisters here at Graber Road, we have a responsibility. Just like every faithful congregation of the Lord, to look after one another and to strengthen one another and to bear one another's burdens and to so fulfill the law of Christ. You've listened very well this evening. Take your songbooks out, please. Open up to the song of invitation that Jim announced. When we see souls the way God sees souls, we realize the great love with which he had for every single one of us while we were, as using words of this morning, without strength, ungodly, enemies, sinners. And it was in this environment that God sent his son, Jesus. And everything that God did through Jesus, even the harsh rebukes, even the difficult conversations that he had to have with people, every single thing that God did was loving. And that was the love that lifted me and you. Brothers and sisters, God uses the love that we have for him and the love that we have for one another to lift one another up when we need it. If it is this evening that there's a Christian here that needs to be lifted and encouraged and strengthened, and if you need the prayers of the church, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, James chapter 5. We prayed for our brother L. Boyd this morning. I hope that you'll continue to pray for him and encourage him throughout the week. Send him a text message. Send him a card. Call him and say, L, I appreciate so much everything that you've done, and I appreciate you, the example of you and your family. I want to encourage you to... Make do and on your commitment to be more devoted to Christ. There's a man who's reached up his hand and said, I need help. Maybe there's some other here that needs help that we can offer this evening. It's not that we want to bat anybody's hand away. It's not that we want to ignore anybody. But sometimes it is that folks slip through the cracks. And we don't want that for anybody. 
But as I see and I have opportunity, I have responsibility, just like you do. Let's stand and sing our imitation song.